This is Alan Carter, and welcome to the Friday podcast. It's time to de-risk your circumstance with Kristen Rashawi from the Toronto Star as we talk about back to school and also about the end of the American century. What's going on south of the border and what lessons can we learn with Dr. Wade Davis from UBC. Let's get to it. Well, I would think we should just take a moment to uh, consider what those 550 people are going through right now. You know the 550. Hell yeah. <laughs> the 550 people who went to the Brass Rail Strip Club over four days in August. I don't know if they went all four days. Anyways, so over four days, 550 people went to a strip club in downtown Toronto, and a worker has tested positive for COVID-19, and now everybody has to self-isolate, and I'm just going to assume that 550 uh, largely dudes, and those are some tough conversations going on right now around the city. I'm up for the strip club. It seemed like a good idea at the time, honey. But now we just can't leave the apartment for two weeks. So back to the education file. And Dr. Williams, do you know you know who Dr. Williams is? He is the medical officer of health in this province. David Williams. He is the guy that we have to all listen to. The politicians have to listen to every time you ask Doug Ford a question that's hard. He's like, I don't know. I ask, I'm not an expert. And that's, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. He's supposed to be the medical experts are telling us all what to do. So yesterday, because every parent in the province is glued to the television, trying to figure out what's going on with the back to school plan. And there's Stephen Lecce saying, well, we can unlock some dollars, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I don't know what that means. And let's get to the doctor. Let's get to the good doctor. Doc, is this a good plan? Should I send my kids back to school? Uh, Doc, go. As you go back to school, uh, parents get ready to go back to school. Children get ready to go back to school. And they all do their things. Usually it's around the backpack, getting what's in it, bringing the lunch, all the materials. Sometimes it's new outfits. Some, Some of the boys don't like to wear them, but that's another question. What are you talking about? And they all do their things. What? Seriously, what? Nobody, nobody asked about backpacks. Getting I, what's in it. What I, you know, I think of myself as a relatively smart guy. You know, I, I, I think I understand these issues. I literally, for a job, <laughs> literally my job, trying to understand what's going on with COVID nineteen and especially in schools. And plus, I'm a parent. I'm interested. I'm trying to figure it out. And when I listen to Dr. David Williams, I feel like bring your lunch. I feel like I'm back in grade twelve, and the calculus teacher is talking. And I know I need to pay attention because this is important. Uh, but I, for the life of me, I can't figure out what in the world he's on about. I have no idea, none. So basically, that answer that I just played for you, that goes on for about five more minutes. And his point, as I peer through the ether, the point he's making is this year's going to be different. But what about class sizes? Where is the clear direction here? Where is the clear answer from the head doctor of this province? And you might know this at the four teachers unions. Now they say, look, we want the Ministry of Labor. We want the Ministry of Labor to rule as whether or not this is even a safe workplace. We don't even know if we feel safe going back into class teaching your little snotty kids 30 in a classroom. 
Now, finally, here, after I waited through the whole thing for you, is an answer I think that I can understand from the good doctor. As you recall, when we were rapidly increasing in cases back in March, without being asked, I was concerned and recommended that then we keep the schools closed. Because I didn't feel, with that amount of community transmission, that we could ensure the safety in the schools. If there was that concern now, I would not recommend opening at this stage. But I am recommending opening because you can look at our numbers, look at the data. The thing is, look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. So I think we have a clear answer there, maybe, from the doctor saying, you know, if there was evidence of what the, you know, the either the unions or the all the concerns are, if there was evidence that that was a risk, I would not recommend reopening, but that is what I'm doing. Kristen Rochelle is the Toronto Star's Queen's Park Bureau reporter, one of the reporters in that bureau, and you've uh, also, Kristen, worked on the... Uh, education file for a long time. Do you understand what he's talking about half the time? <laughs> well, you got to listen to it a few times to make out exactly what he's trying to say. But I think at the end of it, he did say that the school reopening plan that the province has put forward that, you know, he's been working on as well with them is safe. And that's the, I mean, that's about a 12 minute answer, but that's, it that's is. the takeaway. The plan is safe. Parents should feel better. Yeah, so he would not recommend reopening if he shared the concerns of the unions. Um, and the unions are concerned about, um, in particular, uh, kids, they want kids to wear masks starting in junior kindergarten. Right now, Ontario is only mandating that kids starting in grade four wear masks, and they're urging younger kids to do so. The unions also want smaller class mm-hmm. sizes. And I was just chatting with the chair of the Toronto District School Board, so that's the country's largest school board, and he said that they're hearing, all the trustees are hearing from parents and what parents want is smaller classes um, in the elementary grades. Absolutely. That's, I mean, face shields are not, and, and you heard the Premier just kind of musing about face shields for kids yesterday. It's like, again, we're just making this up as we go. Mm-hmm. Well, and yesterday, too, you saw the American Academy of Pediatrics um, came out and said, look, uh, kids should be wearing face masks um, even starting in childcare, like from age two and up, they said, and they, it should be part of any back-to-school plan. What's going to happen on the 8th? Are we going back, or is a staggered start inevitable at this point? Well, if you hear from the boards, they're saying they need more time. The Toronto District School Board is saying, look, we want to make classes smaller. The province freed up some money for us to do that yesterday, um, but we need more time to plan, right? So the elementary classes from grades four to eight can be as many as 30 kids. They want to get them down to, I think, roughly between 15 and 20 for all the elementary classes, that's going to take some time. They need extra space for classrooms. Um, so this is going to take quite a bit of planning for them. You know, the chair this morning was just saying to me, you know, if this had been announced a month ago, we could be ready um, yeah. in time, but now we can't. What? No kidding. I mean, like, the, doesn't doesn't Leche have a calendar app on his phone? <laughs> well, you know, I think the thing is, you know, this is an unprecedented situation. Things are changing but, you know, the issue around class sizes, I mean, this came out in the Sick Kids report. Um, there were experts from Sick Kids and all kinds of uh, children's pediatric experts across the province who said that smaller class sizes were key. They were a critical part of the return to school, of course, along with, you know, hand hygiene and other things like that. But they did identify class sizes. Now, nobody says that there's a magic number that it has to be 15 kids. But the Sick Kids report did say roughly 10 to 15. And if you look at other jurisdictions, the classes were around that size uh, when they went back. So 
it's kind of been on the radar, but kind of not. But, you know, definitely right now the boards are saying, look, we can't we can't get down to those numbers uh, given what we've got two and a half weeks. So, I mean, in British Columbia, they went with a two-day uh, delay. Are we talking, I mean, you know, parents are just, I, it's like, I don't know. I'm a, I don't I don't know. It, first of all, I don't know whether or not I should have said yes to the TDSB robocall, which, you know, we did. And now I don't even know if he's going back on the 8th. Maybe it'll be a week. We don't, everything is up in the air. It does kind of seem like everything's up in the air. And definitely the TDSB is saying, look, to get to smaller class sizes, we probably need at least an extra week to do so. Um, there are other boards we're talking about staggered starts, and the education ministry has come out and said, look, you can stagger the start over the first week, which is some grades go back, maybe you bring back your kindergarten kids first, that kind of thing, but they've got an extra week if they want it. They don't need special permission to do so. Krista Rashawi is with the Toronto Star. She's part of the Queen's Park Bureau. Always great to talk to you, Kristen. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about Fortnite, and I also want to talk about Amazon.com, and I am going to tell you about an encounter between a motorcyclist and a bison. And let me just say, it didn't work out well for the motorcyclist. That's next. Welcome back to the program. The U.S.-Canada border, the closure has now been extended to September the 21st. And if there is one thing that gives Canadians pause, and I think that we pretty much all universally agree on, which is that leisure travel or any kind of travel, non-essential travel, between Canada and the U.S. should not happen at this point, and that's because of the case numbers south of the border, the U.S. case numbers topping 5 million earlier this week. And all of it raises questions about what is coming for the United States. The fractured uh, society down south of the border is now facing, of course, an election coming up, very divisive, and all of it begs the question about what is next for the United States. And to talk further about this, I am very pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Wade Davis, who is a professor of anthropology at UBC in British Columbia, and also also the author of a new book, Magdalena, about the country of Colombia. Welcome to the program, Dr. Davis. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm well, thanks. You wrote a recent article for Rolling Stone in which you talked about that it's not the pandemic currently that we really have to think about, but it is the ramifications of what comes next. Yeah, I mean, I think that at this point, um, Alan, it's almost the story is about the story. I mean, I wrote that piece on spec and sent it off to an old friend of mine, Jan Wenner, who founded Rolling Stone. And, you know, it went on, up online last Thursday, and it's already had 162 million social media impressions, 3 million viewers on the site itself of readers. And I think it speaks to a certain kind of longing in the wake of, of COVID. You know, these you know, pandemics have a way to be uh, of becoming kind of, you know, inflection points of history, but not always. You know, it's interesting. My grandfather died in Calgary in the Spanish flu, and many more people, obviously millions, died from that epidemic, but it happened in the wake of the Great War, where people were almost numb by death. And people also forget that in the summer of Woodstock, when 500,000 kids swam in the mud of of a farm in New York State, there was a Hong Kong flu that killed 100,000 people. In Berlin that summer, they were storing corpses in subway stations. The difference now is that both the reach of digital technology has brought us all together, 
And, of course, the reach of travel. In the year of Woodstock, most Americans and Canadians had never been in a commercial flight. And the, the, the reason COVID is, I think, not a story of medicine or morbidity or mortality, but a story of culture, is that it unveiled um, and placed into tatters the illusion of American exceptionalism. I mean, the reality is that at a moment when 2,000 Americans were dying a day, Americans found themselves living in a failed state, you know, ruled by a dysfunctional government uh, that had to seek for the first time foreign aid. And as those emergency airlifts of fundamental basic supplies came in from China, you know, the hinge of history opened to the Asian century. There was a wonderful piece in the Irish Times that said, you know, you know many, there have been many emotions expressed about America, good, bad, um, uh, condemnation, admiration, but the one emotion that's never been expressed since certainly the triumph of the, of the Second World War is pity. And those of us who live in the social democracies looking um, at what's um, become of America in this crisis really, I think, feel deeply moved. And, and the response to my article was not, uh, uh, you know, a wave of, of sort of um, anger or suggestion that I was being anti-American. On the contrary, the overwhelming emotion in the, in the thousands of emails that have poured in uh, is, is one of sadness, you know. Um, I, I think the article as a kind of family intervention. You know, it's harsh, but it's not conde- it's not negative gratuitously. You know, it's it's a it's like when we have a family member in trouble. We have to hold the mirror to their face so they can see what they've become, and that is the first step in the path of rehabilitation. Uh- Speaking with Dr. Wade Davis, a professor of anthropology at the UBC who has uh, written an influential article that you can see in Rolling Stone, and what you write uh, is, quote, Trump is less the cause of America's decline than a product of his descent. There are a lot of people who are pinning uh, the failures of, obviously, of COVID-19 and the response to it on the Trump administration, but you see this as a, a greater failure beyond this president. Well, one of the things that has been lost in the United States, I mean, you know, it's funny, there's been some criticism, Alan, from Canadians. I'm sort of uh, saying that Canada is wonderful and the States is not. You know, I don't really uh, even compare the two countries, and I certainly don't um, uh, think that we don't have our own problems in Canada. But the data is the data. And on July 30th this summer, uh, on the day that the Americans announced uh, 59,000 uh, I think it was 59,697 new cases in all of the hospitals of British Columbia. We only had five COVID patients. So something's going right up here. And what's going right is the fact that we are a social democracy. We, we have a medical system that caters to the collective, not the individual, and certainly not to private investors who treat every hospital bed as if a, as if a rental property. And the, what allowed us to, to, to manage this is that we still have faith in our institutions, flawed as some of them may be. And what's happened in the States in the wake of the, uh, of the, uh, the Second War, you know, this extraordinary divide between those who have and those who have not, a, a, a cult of the individual that almost denies the very notion of, of society. And so when people go flocking to beaches or bars or convention halls, In the United States, they're not really demonstrating freedom or strength. They're really demonstrating the weakness of the people who lack the stoicism to endure the um, pandemic or the fortitude to defeat it. And I think um, Trump's election in 2016 was already plugging into that that sense of personal um, resentment. You know, people 
people in 2016 who voted for Trump, I mean, bless them, but they were basically people who were prepared to prioritize their own indignations, their own resentments, uh, even if it meant uh, electing to the highest office in the land and potentially one of the most important jobs on earth, an individual whose only possible qualification for that position was his willingness to, to validate their hatred and, um, uh, uh, and and target their enemies, real or imagined. So that's what I mean when I say that Trump is, in a sense, a, a reflection or a symptom of the decline, not the cause of the, of, of the dissent. Uh, Dr. Davis, we only have a short amount of time. I wish we had more time because it's fascinating. But if we're talking now about the, the hinge of history, as you write, that this is the end of the American century and the beginning of an Asian century, what do you see in the future? Well, it's certainly no time to, glo- to gloat, no time to celebrate. I mean, there's a time of incredible peril when all of civilization could have entered a sort of a, an epic of horrors beyond imagining during the uh, Second World War. You know, American industrial might, together with the blood of Russian soldiers, saved civilization. And, and, and if, if the hinge of history does turn to China in particular, with its, you know, Communist Party uh, dictatorship and its, its treatment of um, ethnic minorities and, it, and its surveillance of its own people, its uh, con- consumption of the world's environment, uh, it, it will certainly be nostalgic for the Americans something that I, I long for, but the reality is that every kingdom is born to die. Every empire um, uh, rises and falls. Uh, and, uh, you know, the 19th century, the British Empire reached its greatest extent in 1935, but we all know that it was bled white and uh, bankrupt by the Great War. And so people don't really generally see um, the, their own demise, but history suggests that eventually um, every every great power fades. Wade Davis is a professor of anthropology at the University of British Columbia. He has a new book out called Magdalena about the country of Colombia, and you can read his story about the unra- unraveling of America on rollingstone.com. Dr. Davis, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Alan. Interesting. Yeah, it's a fascinating article, and I think the point they're made at the end is one that I take with me. And there is a lot of anti-Americanism in the world, and there's a lot of it in this country. But if you are celebrating the end of the American century and the beginning, the rise of an Asian century led by a communist China, it is no time to gloat. It is no time to say, well, on to the future, because I think we have more concerns with that going forward than what we've had in the past. I'm off next week, so I'm going to go enjoy some R&R. I'm going to enjoy this province. I'm going to get around and go and see some things and maybe Hell do yeah. some wakeboarding. I'm up for the strip club. <laughs> maybe I'll go to the Peelers. Next thing you know, public health. Public health, line two. I'm up for the strip club. Oh, boy. Uh, heading this way, heading your way real fast, Doug Ford and Stephen Lecce. We're going to take that live as the Premier and the Minister of Education try and address the concerns of parents about back to school. That's coming up here on Global News Radio. I will see you in a week. Join me tonight, though, on TV. Global News at 530, and we simulcast right here on this radio station beginning at 
6. It's been a great hour. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's give this a shot. Give it a shot! That's the podcast for this Friday. Thanks so much for joining me. And don't forget to always de-risk your circumstances.